It's time for the Crunch Time Plays Podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for hopping back into Crunch Time Plays today. Just coming off a of spring practice, mostly for college football, and we've got a, a fuel SEC breakdown for you, just some general thoughts about each team, and then we're going to go really in-depth in Georgia with a guy that that I'm really excited to get on here, a guy that I've admired for, for a long time, and, and that's Mike Griffith of the AGC and dognation.com. You check out all his work there, and we're just thankful to have him on today. So, Mike, what's up, brother? Oh, I'm doing well, man. I'll tell you, it's been a busy spring for sure, you know, just finishing up with the draft. And she mentioned uh, Bennett, Georgia, you know, they're, they're considered a championship contender, but we say that every year, right? A lot of people say, well, we've heard this one before. But, you know, like you said, maybe we'll get into a little bit more of the details of why they may be a little bit bigger factor, but a lot of talent in the SEC coming back. Uh, there's no doubt about that. And I want to start in the SEC East with you for a, a team that, that I'm close to. We live about a, an hour away from Columbia, South Carolina. So I just wanted to get your your general thoughts about South Carolina with you. Shane Beamer comes in. Just your, just kind of your general thoughts about the hire and the staff that he's put together. Well, I think the first thing you got to do is is ask yourself, you know, what's realistic for South Carolina in, in light of, you know, Coast Muschamp's departure. Um, you know, anytime you bring in a new coach, it's a new culture, right? There's new changes. There's new terminology. I, I really like Coach Beamer a lot. You know, he's been around the block. Uh, I've known Shane all the way back to when he was at Tennessee as a graduate assistant for uh, John Chavis. Certainly he's been to South Carolina before with, with Coach Spurrier. Uh, he was a big part of Georgia getting to the national championship game in 2017 on Kirby staff. And then he had the opportunity to go out there to Oklahoma and coach under Lincoln Riley and learn a lot about that Sooners offense. So, uh, and then, you know, of course, the underlying thing is his father is one of the greatest coaches and one of the greatest college football people uh, of all time. So you, you got a winner. You got a good guy in Shane Beamer. Uh, I do think, you know, nobody wants to hear the word patience, but I think it's going to take time. I really like Marcus Satterfield a lot. I think he's a really good play caller. Um, excited to see what he's going to do there. But again, can't stress that enough. Uh, South Carolina is in a rebuild, reload mode. Uh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And, and Marcus Satterfield is, is really interesting to me because Joe Brady's kind of got his own coaching tree now. He's got guys spread out all over the place from last year with the Panthers. He's got Marcus Satterfield at Carolina and then Jake Pizza and DJ Mangus at LSU. Yeah, well, Marcus is another one of those guys that's been around the block. I, I knew him at Tennessee as well. So, you know, what these coaches do so effectively, Bennett, is they, they figure out what they have and say, all right, what can our guys do well? And that's why you want to have coaches like Beamer and Satterfield that have been so many different places and seen it done so many different ways where they're able to really tailor their scheme around their talent. I think that's what Brady did so well at LSU. I think that's what Sarkeesian did so well last year at Alabama. And that's kind of the trick. It's it's not, we have a great scheme. Let's recruit players for it. It's, Hey, we've got these great players. Let's figure out a great scheme to maximize our talents. And, and again, that's an ongoing process because you got to recruit players and then you got to get them on the same page, right? With the familiarity and the terminology uh, and, and the new team culture. So it takes time when there's an entire staff overhaul like this, uh, we know how competitive it is 
in the state of South Carolina. We, we know uh, how Clemson forged ahead with those great facilities and all the momentum that Clemson gathers from being in the playoff every year by way of, of being in a very weak ACC conference. Uh, that, that's a tough road to hope for South Carolina. Um, as we've seen over the years, it's been hard to sustain success. Only Steve Spurrier reached the SEC title game once. So I think it's important to keep the realistic, the expectations realistic for Coach Beamer, but understand you've got a young coach who's willing to grow in that culture. One of the, one of the things that, that's been all, that's on my mind a lot with the Shane Beamer high that I just wanted to get your thoughts on for a second is the idea of kind of being kind of unique. I mean, South Carolina, this is in Alabama, this is in Georgia. You got to be a little bit more unique and just a lot of the, the fan base around here, you know, just a little bit frustrated with Coach Muschamp, not only with the results on the field, but the fact I think a lot of the times fans just want to feel a part of the program. They want to feel like they know a lot about the program. And I just don't think you got that with Coach Muschamp. But with Coach Beamer, he's really getting out into the community, really opening the media up well that, 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 you know, Coach Muschamp learned, you know, from Coach Saban that, kind of more of a closed off setting, but how big is it for South Carolina just to get their name out there and coach Beamer being so active? I think it helps on the front end. I mean, ultimately you're judged on your wins and losses, but I think to your point, Bennett, you you want a coach that, that enables the fan base to take ownership. Right. And I think when you have things like open scrimmages and, and occasional open practice, now you understand why they can't do it all the time. I mean, social media is such a monster. I know when I covered Tennessee, uh, when they won their national title, uh, they were open practices and Alabama was open practices when they won their title. Um, you know, so it's not like it's really counterintuitive to winning titles. The problem is now that we have social media, you know, all it takes is one road reporter that puts a new formation out there, reports that a certain guy's injured, and it gives that other team uh, an, an advantage, right? Or an extra, you know, the benefit of knowing, you know, hey, there's one less guy that I got a scheme for. Um, and, and, and that's why, I mean, can you imagine, and I don't remember exactly when it was that JC uh, Horns quit on his team or declared whatever he did, you know, opted out, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but can you imagine if the other team would have known that that week, maybe who knows, maybe they did. I, I don't recall the situation, but that's like something you'd want to keep under wraps as long as possible. If you're going to lose a, a first round pick like that, and, you know, I kind of felt bad for coach Muschamp, you know, when guys are like that or opting out, I mean, that's, you know, that that's tough, though. although if I'm thinking right, wasn't the timeline that Muschamp was fired and then Horn opted out? Regardless, you know, when players start opting out like that, it's really hard on a program. And certainly you look at Georgia, uh, you know, Jamie Newman opted out. And it was a guy they thought was going to be their quarterback and, and then JT Daniels injury. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things now that coaches have to manage that they didn't have to manage before. And, and Ben, we're going to be talking about name, image, likeness talking about transfers. Um, but I think getting back to your point, the question is, can Shane Beamer make South Carolina unique in some ways that's going to attract and retain top-level talent? And all I can tell you is that he's a relationship guy. He's been a lot of different places. I think he's a coach's coach, or excuse me, a player's coach. And uh, I know this about the South Carolina fans because I've seen it firsthand. I, I still remember when Lou Holtz was barely winning any games. But, boy, I'll tell you, you'd go to the stadium and it was full. And I remember another year where Tennessee fell all the way down to the Peach Bowl 
because the Outback Bowl wanted South Carolina over Tennessee because they knew those South Carolina fans were going to turn out, and they did. Um, so you've got a resilient fan base, a loyal fan base. You've got a young, promising coach. Uh, you just you need to find a couple of special players that want to stay home and be the catalyst, uh, you know, for South Carolina's rise uh, in the Palmetto State because it, it will happen eventually. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so too. It's it's just just staying patient, staying patient. You know, in the next three or four years, like, you could see something special for for Coach Beamer in Columbia. Don't, would it be? detrimental to him if if some of these guys if they do have some early success say they go eight and four this year seven and five and they have an eight nine win season next year and all of a sudden you see some of these assistant coaches that he's got to attract higher higher level jobs could it could it be detrimental to him in any way in this build if he's has some success right away and some of his coaches do depart no, I mean, when, when coaches depart, it means you're doing something right. Um, on the flip side, you know, you look at Clemson's ability, you know, to have retention. They, they pay competitively and, you know, uh, you know, having that sort of synergy and, and that sort of continuity has really helped the Clemson program. But I just don't know that you can do that in the SEC. I think it's different than the ACC. I mean, I don't know if there's more job security anywhere than what Dabble's built at, at uh, Clemson. I got a lot of respect for that. You know, I know Dabble really well as well as Woody McCorvey. These are guys I covered when I was at Alabama. And, you know, Dabble's a good man. And and uh, I think when I interviewed Coach Beamer a month or two ago, we brought Dabble up and he agreed. You know, I, I think Shane is very much like a younger version of Dabble. Uh, I think Dabble inherited a better program in terms of where Clemson was at. Uh, you know, the ceiling was a little bit closer for Dabble. It still took him seven years before he won his title. Um, nowadays, I don't know if Dabo Sweeney would have been given seven years, right? The clock was a little bit longer back then. And uh, again, I, I know patience is hard to come by in the SEC. Um, but boy, I'll tell you, I've seen South Carolina do some good things with their facilities. I've seen the loyalty and the fan base. And I know there's a lot of talent in that state. And the, the Beamer name means something. I'm going to tell you, you know, Frank Beamer is a legend. And football is largely about relationships when you get into recruiting. And I think having a guy like Shane there, you know, that can look these kids in the eyes and, and be transparent about what he's trying to do to the point, Bennett, of even having some open practices and scrimmages, I think that gives South Carolina a chance. But it, it's going to be really rough if we're being honest about it. Uh, you know, Georgia's put it together, and that program has been a sleeping giant for decades. And now that Georgia has great facilities, they're going to be hard to catch. Florida – uh, Mullen, uh, he's generated some momentum and some excitement, but you know, he's dealing with the show calls right now. You know, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm not a little, I'm uncertain about the direction of Florida. I think uh, Mullen can scheme, but can he get the players right? That's been a question. So, but still, those two programs, uh, are, are going to be hard in, in South Carolina. You know, they're trying to catch up at the same time Tennessee is, right? Tennessee just hired a new coach. Tennessee's got facilities. Um, so it, it, in, in Missouri, we never can count them out. So it's, it's just a real dogfight. And I just hope people will focus on the process uh, that Coach Beamer has going there and, and appreciate, uh, you know, the steps forward he's got to take each year. It's, it's a step-by-step deal, though. One of the – is there a couple things that you could point to and say, outside of money, there's a lot more money in the sport than, than there used to be, but is there any – a couple of things that you can point to and say, this is the reason why coaches 
aren't being given as long at schools. Because, I mean, there are a lot of success stories. I mean, we just mentioned Dabo. I mean, I just think back to Coach Spurrier if he at South Carolina. If he wasn't given the time that he was, South Carolina wouldn't have those – it wouldn't have that SEC East title as well as those three consecutive 11 win seasons. So is there any, any couple things that you could point to in that? Well, I just think it's, you know, it's a, it's a now society. I mean, you know, heck if whatever you want to order, you order meals to go and they can have it delivered on your doorstep. You can, you know, do uh, teleconferences on your phone. I mean, the technology is amazing. Uh, you know, kids grow up in a video game world and, you know, they start a video game season. They don't like it. They hit the reset button and start over. Right. It's just not the, how the real world works. And, and yet we're so spoiled in so many ways in our culture and in our country. Um, so that's just part of it. I think social media, you know, I've said this many times, I, you know, Peyton Manning doesn't come back for a senior year if there's social media. Can you imagine how much Twitter trouble Peyton would have had for losing to Florida three straight years. I don't think he comes back for a fourth, right? We saw Jake Fromm leave Georgia. Uh, you know, Jake was a really good quarterback, right? But all he heard about was what Justin Fields could do at Ohio State every week. And it was really an unfair comparison because, you know, again, Ohio State's, you know, the, you know, Big Ten is just, it's kind of like the ACC, right? It's Ohio State and everybody else. And just like it's Clemson and everybody else in the ACC. So I think social media has something to do with it. I think it's technology. And I think it's just people in general. I think we're a lot less patient as a society. And and we got people and politicians telling us whatever we want, we can have right now. I mean, they're sending out checks to everybody right now. I don't know where this money's coming from. Coming from somewhere. So, you know, it's uh, it's just kind of the society we're in. And, and everybody kind of, it's a Burger King world, right? Everybody wants to have it their way. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree with that. Because, I mean, you know, we're just so used to having things at our disposal right away. And then kind of switching, uh, kind of going around the SEC. So let's talk about Florida next. What what do you see from from them just on the surface? And then Dan Mullen, he's got the show calls like you just mentioned. It just seems like he's not really interested in recruiting high school players. Yeah, you know, Florida's always kind of recruited itself, right? I mean, Florida's a great school. It's a top academic school. It's a tremendous campus. Uh, you know, Coach Spurrier started a great tradition there that continues. There's a lot of offense. The Gators just kind of have that swag. Even their colors are kind of loud and obnoxious, kind of go along with it, just like a lot of their fans. Uh, but they're a spirited group. And when Florida's good, it's fun, right? There, you know, there's nothing better for a, a fan base than to beat the Florida Gators. You know, they're, they're, they're that kind of team you want to beat, right, because they have such a good standard of excellence. And they are a confident group and, uh, and they're always talented. And I think they're still talented. Uh, you know, it remains to be seen about Emory Jones and how he transitions. I mean, Kyle Trask really put it together, uh, had some really special performances. You know, he was a guy that if you didn't get him off platform, good luck. You know, it was like he was playing poppy shot back there. And once he got into rhythm with Tony and, and Pitts, you know, the Gators were tough to stop and you got to give them credit. They played Alabama better than anybody last season. I thought their best game of the year was a loss. Um, so I, I think Mullen has shown that he can win football games. I think that's going to help him in recruiting. I think Florida does have some momentum producing those two first round picks. I believe they had uh, eight overall. That's a really good draft class for the Gators. Um, they are going to lose some pretty, pretty key players. Obviously Pitts, Tony, uh, Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Trask. I mean, that is a huge reload. And to me, that's probably a bit much for Florida to overcome in terms of challenging Georgia in the East this year. Kind of sw- switching over to, to Kentucky. There, it seems like Mark 
Mark Stoops, he, to me, he's the most underrated coach in the SEC. The way kind of the success he's been able to have, a sustained success. Talk about, you know, fan bases kind of, kind of getting discouraged of what they're doing, but you just don't, you kind of just don't see that at Kentucky. He does a great job on, on both lines of scrimmage and he got a new offensive coordinator this year as well. He finally realized there was a future beyond Eddie Grant and, and just running, and just running the football and throwing some screens. But what do you see from the Wildcats? Well, I think it starts with a run game. I mean, Chris Rodriguez is easily the most underrated runner uh, in the league. You just don't hear enough about this guy. I mean, he's really outstanding. He's a guy I know Georgia probably wishes hadn't gotten out of state. Uh, real talented guy. To your point on Stoops, you know, let's be honest here, Bennett. It, you know, that kind of success wouldn't cut the mustard at a Georgia or an Alabama or a Tennessee, but it's a basketball school. And, and Kentucky doesn't apologize for that. Uh, they've got a great and proud basketball tradition, but it's been hard for any coach, uh, to your point, to sustain uh, the respectability and success that, that Stoops has had. Uh, is he underrated, overrated? I know he won Coach of the Year one year, and I wasn't so sure he, he deserved it. You know, it, it kind of became a consolation prize there for a while. Hey, here's the coach, the best coach of the of the most mediocre team, right? You know, I was glad to see Nick Saban personally win it last year. I think the guy that wins the league ought to be the first guy you consider. I'm not saying it ought to be the Nick Saban Award every year. Uh, but this particular year, I believe that Coach Saban deserved it coaching through COVID. But, but back to your point on Stoops. Um, you know, Kentucky has become a respectable program. You know, that's a program that's going to punch you in the nose. You better show up, right? You better show up when you play Kentucky. Um, I, I give those guys a lot of credit. Um, they've become a very physical group. I know that Kentucky really derailed Georgia's season. I know people look at the Florida game, but, you know, what you may not realize is Kentucky knocked four of those Georgia guys out the week before with injuries. That was a slobber knocker game. And, and so Georgia kind of limped into that Florida game and Florida had been off two of the previous three weeks with their COVID-19. Uh, you know, they beat up Missouri pretty good. So that was a fresh Florida team against a beat up Georgia team coming off Kentucky. And, uh, and that's what Kentucky is now. Uh, you know, you don't see Kentucky beat themselves. I'm like you. I want to see what happens uh, with the offense with, with with Liam Cohen. You know, this former Rams quarterback coach. He'll be taking over the the play calling duty. You got to see what happens under center, right? You can't win without a trigger. You can only be so good without a trigger. So Bo Allen, Joey Gatewood. Uh, let's see what happens. But I think that the personality will stay the same. I think this is still going to be a physical football team. It's going to rely on the run game. Chris Rodriguez. And uh, and that in that line of scrimmage play, well, switch kind of switching over to, to Missouri. Who who do you kind of see as the as the number two in the SEC East behind Georgia this year? Is it a Kentucky or a Missouri with with Connor Basilak? Eli Drinkwitz is doing doing some really nice things in his second year, or is it a team like Florida that we already mentioned? Yeah, you know, I I don't count out Missouri. I used to. I used to. I, when they joined the league, I said this is terrible. Uh, you should have got West Virginia. Um, I, I, not, I still haven't figured out why Missouri's in the East. Uh, you know, somebody missed a geographical lesson there. Uh, it should be Auburn in the East and Missouri in the West, quite frankly. I think, uh, you know, that was one of the things the late great Pat Dye had advocated for. And I'm, I'm still not sure why that hasn't gone through the conference office. But, uh, to your question, I, I'm with you. I like Eli Drinkwitz a lot. Um, now his mouth might have overshot his butt a little bit last year when he wanted to say Georgia was going to be a measuring stick game. That was all Kirby Smart and the dogs needed to hear because they went in there and tore him up uh, in Columbia last year. But but that was a team that was playing good football. And Missouri is is a unique, strangely enough, uh, success. They've had two SEC title game appearances. I mean, 
Bennett, you know, if I would have told you in 2012 that Missouri was going to play in two SEC title games and A&M wouldn't be in any after 10 years, you'd have told me I was crazy. So I don't want to count out Missouri. I don't want to get carried away with Missouri either, but I always give them a puncher's chance. I've seen them ruin a lot of days for a lot of football teams, surprisingly. And, um, you know, Eli Drinkwitz does have some momentum. And you mentioned Counter Bazelak. We just talked about how you got to have a trigger. Hey, this kid's a trigger. So I give Missouri a puncher's chance to be that number two team uh, instead of Florida. Uh, but then again, I could see, you know, Missouri finishing fourth behind Florida and Kentucky. So I think you're on track with those three teams right there. Uh, Florida, Kentucky, Missouri, all kind of battling for that two, three, four position in the East. Well, the last, last one before we get to Georgia is, is Vanderbilt. And they just hired a new coach in Court League coming home to kind of like Shane Beamer kind of come, kind of coming home and, and being the head coach at Vanderbilt. And they, they've made a, a nice, you know, they're promising these facility upgrades coming up in the next couple of years. Seems like they're really trying to to improve things for, for Cart Lee and that football program. Where do you kind of see Vanderbilt in this kind of rebuild, maybe two or three years down the line? Well, one, I can't help. You know, I, every now and then the black helicopters circle for me and I come up with some theories. Some people might think they're a little out there, but uh, I almost wonder if the SEC told Vanderbilt, hey, you, it's time. You better start dressing this place up. You know, we've been carrying you, Vanderbilt. We've been cutting you a check every year for $44, $45 million, just like everybody else. What the heck are you doing with it? Are you buying artwork for the, the president's mansion or what? Because it wasn't going into that football facility because the football facility was trash compared to the rest of the SEC. So I think it's good. I think it's healthy. I think it's sad that it didn't happen under Derek Mason, who I think is an outstanding football coach and was deserving of much better support than he got from his school. I thought Vanderbilt uh, under Derek Mason did some great things. Uh, you know, his, his wins over Tennessee were particularly impressive. Um, you know, and Vanderbilt's a program I think we all kind of have a soft spot for because we recognize that they may not have the facilities or they may not have the backing. Um, you know, but they kind of use that equity up when you realize it's because they choose not to. It's not that they don't have. I mean, having the city of Nashville is is a pretty big advantage if you're Vanderbilt to recruit to. And now they're even getting more Division One prospects out of that metro Nashville area with its growth. So uh, now you start to got a recruiting base. You got a great city behind you. You got a great academic institution. I think with name, image, likeness, this is something like having a big city around you is going to help out. Um, you know, but but what happened last year with Vanderbilt not showing up for their game against Georgia twice? I mean that that was a that's a historical down note. And listen, I am very uh, sympathetic uh, to the COVID nineteen crisis and the issues that they had. Uh, but doggone it, I saw South Carolina go out there shorthanded and play a football game against Georgia, even though they had to move some guys around. Uh, they did that for the other kids to have an opportunity. Uh, they did that for the university. They did that for their donors and their fans that had paid for those tickets and had that weekend plan. Um, and they did that out of respect to the SEC. Um, you know, what Vanderbilt pulled last year was was shameful, and it was a mark on their football history. Uh, you know, Clark Lee wasn't there for that. Um, I put that more on their athletic administration and the naivety uh, that may have existed as far as the importance of maintaining the integrity of the SEC. This is the SEC, all right? And there's other conferences that did things other ways. 
Uh, we don't need to get into the Big Ten changing their rules for Ohio State or or the Pac-12 and how late they were in deciding to have a season or or maybe even the ACC just knocking off a whole week of games, right? Uh, the SEC does it by the numbers, and that's the way Greg Sankey does his business. Um, there's a reason why he's the best commissioner in college sports and why I think he, unfortunately, I'd like to see him be the the, uh, the overall NCAA director, uh, I saw Mark Emmert re-up recently, but but to me that that was an area uh, where I'm glad to see Vanderbilt's committing the money. I'm glad they hired a good football coach, um, you know. But but what happened with Vanderbilt canceling a game and and robbing these Georgia kids of the legacy of being the winningest program or the winningest class in school history that that that's gonna that's gonna take a while for me to get past because that's just not an SEC caliber decision. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you on your theory. I mean, it, it, would, it wouldn't shock me at all if the SEC did kind of come in and say, hey, uh, you better start using some of this money. And, and then Derek Mason, I mean, to me, I, I was with you on him too. I mean, he deserved as, – as much as he gave to, to that program, it, to me, he, he deserved it. That's why I, I love the, the Brian Harson hire that he made to be his defensive coordinator at Auburn. I think, I think it's a great hire there. And then kind of the last thing, last thing in the East is, of course, Georgia. See, with the offensive side of the ball first, we know what they got at quarterback. JT Daniels really opened up the offense last year. And then running back to me, Kendall Milton seems like he could end up being kind of the X factor of that running back room this year for Georgia. Yeah, Kendall's a powerful guy. He reminds me of a young Najee Harris. Of course, the young Najee Harris reminded me of the old Najee Harris. I didn't know what happened between his freshman and last two years. I said, what happened to next year? Because I thought he was the best guy in that national championship game against Georgia. I was blown away. I said, okay, here comes the next great one. Uh, and, and good for Najee and, um, you know, and good for Alabama that, that they were able to get their championship run out of Najee Harris. You know, Georgia's done a lot of work by committee. And I guess, Bennett, the way I would explain Georgia to people you know, I, I, the last couple few years, whether it was, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, and, you know, T Higgins and Amari Rogers and, and what, what the Clemson Tigers did with their great pass game and Travis Etienne, or whether it was Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and, and Shepard and, and uh, Clyde Edwards Alaire and what they were able to do with their great offense or whether it was Alabama and, and Mac and Devontae and Jalen when he was healthy or Najee. You know, you kind of saw these teams with these spread, speedy, explosive receivers. Well, with George Pickens out, I think George has still got some good receivers, but I don't think they have great receivers like those last two or three teams I just mentioned that won the national title. The way I would tell people to think about George, and I guess I'm, I might be dating myself a little bit here, but I would tell you to go back to those Pete Carroll teams with Matt Leinart and Reggie Bush. And think about how those USC offenses were so physical and they looked a lot like a pro team with how many different weapons they could hit you with. Now, I don't know if I think there's a Reggie Bush in the backfield. I, I don't know that I'm willing to go that far with Kendall Milton or Kenny McIntosh, but I think JT Daniels is a guy that can distribute the football very well. Uh, this is a very much a pro style offense with air raid concepts. This is a guy who can fly the jet, as I say, from the line of scrimmage. And what I mean by that are all the controls and all the levers are at his disposal at the line. If he needs to change protections, if he needs to adjust routes, uh, if he needs to audible and flip from run to pass. When you've got a quarterback uh, who's got that sort of football IQ, 
Um, I'll give you an example. A few years ago, a couple of years ago, I was talking to Jake Fromm at the NFL Combine. And I said, well, Jake, how would you say to your critics that you don't have the mobility to get out of trouble like some of these mobile quarterbacks? And Jake said, well, I'd tell him that I get out of trouble before I get in trouble. And that was him saying he could see the blitz coming and adjust. And I thought that was just brilliant. And in fact, you know, how did Peyton Manning, right? Or how does Tom Brady? They get out of trouble before they get in trouble because of their ability to control the game at the line of scrimmage. Now, the trick isn't for JT Daniels or Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Jake Fromm to know how to do it. The question is, can you get the receivers and the tight ends and the backs to be on the same page? You could be making all these audibles and checks, but if the receiver turns the wrong way, well, I'll give you an example, Bennett. There was a game a, a couple years ago, South Carolina won between the hedges. Jake Fromm threw three interceptions, and two of them were because the receiver, you know, ran the wrong route. Israel had a couple that picked six. That was one Jake was trying to throw out of bounds, but there was another one the receiver turned the wrong way, and then the third one actually went off a, a, a wide receiver's hands. But but it was but at the end, oh, Jake Fromm threw three interceptions. Well. Kind of had to do with the receivers, right? Pickens didn't really come back on that one ball. J.J. Holloman turned the wrong way. Another pass. So the question to me isn't J.T. Daniels. The question to me is can J.T. get some receivers that are going to run the right routes at the right depth and be consistent catching the fall, catching the ball and be able to operate at the line of scrimmage when they look at J.T. And, and, and he gives them the singles. Is everybody on the same page here? Is everybody reading whether that DB is playing outside leverage or inside leverage? Because your read is dependent on whether that DB is going outside or inside leverage. And what you've got, what teams have figured out how to do, Bennett, is they're not confusing the quarterback anymore. They already know they're not going to surprise Mac Jones or Kyle Trask or JT Daniels. So what these teams are doing now, three-dimensional chess is, can they confuse the receiver? Because if they can confuse the receiver, they've effectively confused the quarterback because they've broken uh, his synergy uh, and his continuity with the receiver. So those are some of the games you're going to see as Georgia goes more pro style with this high IQ quarterback. They can make all the throws at all the levels, one. And then two, can they protect him, right? Georgia just end up losing uh, two guys in the NFL draft on the offensive line. That's that's five linemen that have been drafted. Their entire line of the last two years has been drafted. So you're going to have a young guy there at left tackle or an inexperienced guy at left tackle. That's a very important position. you got to beef up inside there, right guard. I think the offensive line probably drops off a little bit. Uh, and can SEC defenses take advantage of that and, and put enough pressure on JT Daniels that, that Georgia has to simplify or stick with the run a little bit more than they'd like? Switching over to the to the defensive side of the ball real quick. I know we talked about in the pre-show the secondary, and then we were saying if, if Kirby Smart and Dan Lanning and, and Will Muschamp can't figure it out, we don't know who can. But but what what specifically with the second besides depth? Besides depth, are there any is there anything conceptually that you see there with the secondary? Well, I, I would say that the, the you know the key to a good secondary is a good pass rush, right? Because you don't want to hang those guys out to dry, and that's one thing Georgia has is a really, really good pass rush. Now they lose the SEC sacks leader Aziz Ajilari, uh, but they got two other guys lined up ready to come. I think South Carolina people know about Nolan Smith. Uh, he's from down there in Savannah. He was the number one recruit a few years ago. Pretty special guy. I think they probably know about Jordan Davis, a kid out of Charlotte, North Carolina, he went from three star to. Probably a top five draft pick next year. I mean, he's a six six three forty five, and you know he's a dancing bear in there. He can really move. He's got them basketball feet. 
because um, that's what they do in Carolina, right? They all play some hoops now. And uh, Jordan's got game two, so he's got great feet. He's got great power. Um, so you've got that dominant nose tackle. Devontae White is another potential first rounder you don't hear a lot about. This guy's disruptive, though. So Georgia front line, they are really going to take the run away, make teams one-dimensional, bring a lot of pressure off the edge. And so the back end now, to your point, you know, how quickly can they grow? And I think Will Muschamp is a real winning edge for Georgia. I think when I look at all the offseason, and don't get me wrong, obviously it starts with having a guy like JT Daniels, but but in terms of what Will Muschamp brings beyond his great defensive expertise, and I do think now Georgia's going to experiment playing a little more zone, have a little bit more different looks to confuse quarterbacks or running backs as we were talking, or excuse me, receivers as we were talking about earlier. But I think where Will really helps out, maybe this is a little inside baseball-ish for, for people that don't follow George closely, but, you know, when you're Kirby Smart, you know, it's not like you can pick up the phone and ask Nick Saban for advice, all right, because he's trying to beat you every year and you're trying to beat him. Um, but how many guys in your room can you really ask for advice? And how many guys can you look in the eye and go, this guy knows where I'm coming from? Will Muschamp is that guy for Kirby. Right. Will is a guy that was a senior when Kirby came in as a freshman at Georgia. Uh, Will is a guy that helped Kirby get hired at Valdosta State. Uh, Will is a guy that greased the skids for Kirby to get hired at LSU. And, and Will and Kirby have made no secret of their mutual respect and friendship. More than anything, I think Will gives Kirby an echo chamber. And, you know, you know, Will, like I know Will, Bennett. I mean, if Will sees something he don't like, he'll tell you. And, and what's he, what are you going to do, fire him? You got $11 million in the bank. You ain't firing the chief, okay? You know, hey, coach, I'm just going to tell you, Kirby. I'm just going to tell you. If I think it stinks, it stinks. And Kirby will be like, okay, okay. You know, because they got that, right? And it helps when you're Kirby smart to have that other guy who gets it. You don't think having Will Muschamp helps George against Clemson? I guarantee you Will Muschamp knows Clemson inside and out. Now, maybe – Maybe South Carolina didn't necessarily have the players they needed for Dabo's guys, but he's going to tell he he's got the book on Dabo, and that's going to help Georgia against Clemson. And and uh, well, you saw it just a couple of years ago. Uh, Will and, and South Carolina came in there and, and schemed Georgia up with that bye week and got that win between the hedges. Uh, that that was coaching. That's good coaching right there. That's Will knowing Kirby better than Kirby knows himself. So now you've added that level of expertise. And you've added that echo chamber for Kirby Smart, who must feel like the loneliest guy in the world. I mean, all he's done is finishing the top 10 four years in a row, win the East three years in a row, and you got some of these knucklehead national comment, oh, he's on the hot seat. Who's on the hot seat, buddy? Kirby's job security is a lot better than yours. You know what I'm saying? So who's calling Kirby Smart on the hot seat when the guy finishes in the top 10 four years in a row? and has a recruiting class in the top five, five years in a row and generates $170 million in facilities in five years. So, you know, the lunatic fringe is out there, Bennett. We talked about it earlier. Why do coaches have less time? Because there's enough knuckleheads out there. And if they say things over and over, perception becomes reality. Like at some point, somebody said, Will Muschamp isn't a good coach. Well, Balderdash, Will Muschamp is a great coach. It didn't work out at South Carolina, right? You know, he wasn't able to get over that hump. But as you and I talked about earlier, you've had some of the greatest coaches in history have limited success there. Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier among them. We're talking about two of the greatest coaches of our lifetime, two of the top 10 coaches, certainly in the last 50 years. So it's a challenge 
there's hurdles there at Carolina. Um, I think this is good for Will because he could recharge. And as you said, he's got a son on staff. It's an analyst. He's got another son that's a, a walk-on quarterback. So it gives Will some family time. But I also think it gives Will some time back at Georgia, his old stomping grounds. And I think it gives Kirby Smart a winning edge. So I circle Will Muschamp. I don't underplay that. I think Will's addition is very big for Georgia's championship hopes. Yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely one of the X factors for me in their opening game against Clemson was Will Muschamp. I was thinking about it the other day. I was like, nobody, nobody's seen, you know, Dabo the last five years like Will Muschamp has. And, and you mentioned him not being able to call Nick Saban for help. Georgia's had the lead on, on Alabama the, the last several times they played him at the half. Do you think Kirby Smart right now, is he looking, especially with this one-time transfer thing just getting passed, and I know we've we're got several guys in the transfer portal right now, is he kind of looking at that? Is he looking at his roster, looking at the transfer portal, kind of say, these are the guys that I need to finally get over that hurdle and beat Alabama? I feel like he feels like he's got those guys now. I mean, the transfer portal is is something you don't want to be naive to. You know, I liked what Dabo Sweeney said about it. You know, that's not something they're looking to use, but they'd be foolish if they didn't take advantage of all the rules. And I like what Clemson did moving Danny Pierman to that role as a guy that, you know, looks at, you know, not just NFL talent, but looks in the portal. And, you know, Clemson's starting a position for that. You know, Dabo Sweeney is – is a smart coach, right? He's a good football coach, and that's that's a big reason why Clemson's winning is because Clemson, uh, like Nick Saban, innovates. And, um, and and Kirby does too. Kirby doesn't get enough credit for that. You know, uh, it, a lot of people say, oh, he's just like Nick. He's not just like Nick. There's a lot of differences. There's similarities, but my goodness, he coached with them 11 years, and Kirby's got four national championship rings, right? So, um, of course, he's going to follow uh, ways of success. But I, I think that Georgia, uh, if they go to the portal, you know, number one, you got to get somebody better than, than who you're bringing them in for, right? You don't want to displace a kid and, unless you think this guy coming in is going to be better than him. So how many guys are out there that are better than some of these four- and five-star Georgia's got, you know, waiting to take over in the wings? Yeah, you know, I think it, it's tough, to you know, to beat Alabama when they're doing everything right. And, and, you know, it's hard to out Alabama, Alabama, right? They're recruiting the best kids. There's a lot of development, a lot of NFL influence. But one thing Georgia's got now is some continuity. Uh, and, and I really like what their quarter, what their new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin, can do. I think Alabama, we're going to see Alabama go down this RPO road uh, with their quarterback, whereas I think Georgia this year uh, might have the advantage on Alabama. You know, Alabama had six first-round picks. Five of those guys were seniors. That's a lot of experience to lose. I think Georgia's got some continuity coming out of last year. You know, you look at the profile of JT Daniels and how he played the last four games of last season, somewhat similar to the experience that Mac Jones carried over. So uh, I think this could be the year that Georgia finally passes Alabama. Talking to Mike Griffith of the AGC and DogNation.com does, does an outstanding job. And kind of moving over to the SEC West now, Mike, we're talking about Alabama. Are, do we – and uh, we get caught up in every year. Oh, here comes Alabama again. Like, but they they just do such great of a job at, at turning over talent. They just reload. They don't rebuild. Does that do we underappreciate what Nick Saban does sometimes? I mean, we know he's got more first round picks now than losses at Alabama. But it, outside of the SEC kind of perception from fans is oh, here comes Alabama. It's kind of like the Patriots when, when they had Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, but. Do we do we underappreciate Nick Saban and the work that he does sometimes? Well, I don't. You know, I, I don't know how you could. I mean, he's won four titles there. 
you know, I, I was comparing him to like a really good crew chief in NASCAR, right? He's an innovator. And you can say, well, that ain't breaking the rules. It ain't in the rule book. You know, he, he's always looking for the edge, the winning edge in terms of how Alabama's done things. And it seems like everyone's always trying to catch up. But the bottom line is he gets the best talent there and Alabama turns them into pros. And, and that's why those kids stick around for their senior year. They got that level of buy-in. And I think that's what George is chasing. I think that's what George is trying to establish and develop. And as I said earlier, you know, you got a lot of guys coming back this next year where Georgia could have six or seven first round picks next year because some kids are getting that level of buy in. But um, no, I don't think we uh, underappreciate. I don't appre- underappreciate uh, Saban. I got a lot of great respect for what Nick does and and what he's done. Um, of course, I also know where he came from. Right. I went to Michigan State and I've written stories about, you know, the lack of success that he had there and and why he had to get out. You know, he's like anybody else. He's got to have a program that's all in behind him. And everybody wants to talk about being all in. But are they really all in? Uh, you know, Bennett, I'd ask you this. Right. You're a football coach and, and your AD says, coach, I'm going to get everything you need. Uh, but or you're, you're going to get twelve point five percent less home games to recruit to than the other teams you're recruiting against. You'd say, well, well, then you're really not giving me everything Alabama. Yeah, but, you know, we just like going to Jacksonville every year. Wait, you're, you're not all in. You're giving up a recruiting week. Well, he recruits good enough. Does he? Because the last time I checked, 1980, you know, and to me, you know, the, you know, being crazy is, you know, expecting different results, doing things the same way. And the thing about Alabama, and I've, I've talked to the people at Georgia about it, so you got to understand something. When you go up against Alabama, you're going up against a program that's all in. I've covered Alabama. I grew up watching Alabama. I know all about Alabama. They don't leave any stones unturned. You know, you, you can't take a day off and expect to beat Nick Saban. He's going to work seven days a week. You want to work six days a week and try and beat him, good luck. Um, and, and that's to me, that's where Georgia's final hurdle is, is getting this Florida game back to a home-and-home. Uh, you know, on, on a few different counts. One, um, you know, so they get that home recruiting weekend. That's one out of every home, one out of every eight SEC home game weekends that Georgia punts. And there's no advantage to it, right? You can say, well, there's no disadvantage. I said, well, it certainly isn't an advantage either. Um, so I, I think that's something that Kirby's trying to get done. I, I think he's dealing with an old mentality. I know talking with uh, with Pat Dye, uh, Coach Dye was able to get that Alabama-Auburn series home and home, and what a great benefit it was to the Auburn Tigers. And even though Alabama kept that game in Birmingham another eight or nine years, they eventually figured it out and said, you know what, why are we doing this? Let's bring it back to Tuscaloosa. Think about all the revenue. Think about how the stadium grew. Think about how the town grew. And uh, that's where George is at right now, I think, needing to grow Athens, take care of their own infrastructure, and give Kirby Smart a level playing field to beat Alabama. Yeah, I mean, I think so too. Personally, I'd like to, I'd like to see Florida and Georgia kind of move back to a home and home. I think it, it just pro- provides a good advantage for, for both sides, like we're talking about on the recruiting weekends. But the last, last thing I got for you, kind of looking outside of Alabama in the SEC West, kind of looking at, at LSU with Coach O. We don't, not sure who their quarterback's going to be. Going to be Max Johnson. Takes A&M's in a similar situation with Haynes King and, and Calzada there. And then Auburn got Brian Harson, but Bo Nix, they're, they're kind of putting a little bit more on his plate. Like we were talking about with, with JT Daniels kind of giving him kind of free reign to, to kind of check at the line and, and getting some different things like that. And, and then the two Mississippi schools, Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, I, her, outside of JT Daniels, Matt Corral is probably the best returning quarterback in the SEC next year. And then 
Mike Leach battling the attrition last year, some attrition on the roster, trying to be new to the SEC with the air raid. I think he's going to be a lot better off this year as well, dude. Yeah, you know, the West is tough, and you didn't even mention Arkansas and Sam Pittman bringing oh, back yeah. 18 or 19 starters. And, you know, the Hogs are no pushover anymore. We saw no, that. So Definitely not. You know, the, the West, I think, is is recovered. I think for a few years, a couple few years there, you could make a case for the East uh, against the West. Uh, you know, I really like – I'm with you. I like the Brian Harson hire a lot. I like out of the box. I like doing it a little bit different. You mentioned that for South Carolina – I think Harson gives you a chance to do that. I like the coordinators there, Bobo and Mason. They're guys that have been around the block. But you're you're, you're fitting a lot of different pieces in. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of chemistry there. You got a lot of head coaches there, right? You got a lot of cooks making the soup there. You know, that's got to work. It's good on paper, but you know, how's it going to work in practice? You know, when you got all these guys, I mean, it's it's tough. Uh, I've seen this happen before on other staffs I've covered. So, uh, but I like the hire. It uh, kind of reminds me of, of Tennessee hiring Bruce Pearl in basketball uh, back in 06. You know, you bring in a coach from another conference who has a different way of doing things. Uh, uh, Boise State certainly is a proven program. Uh, Brian Harson is a guy that's been there for all those coaches. He was a member of all those staffs. Um, so I like that hire by Auburn quite a bit. Uh, I like Bo Nix. I, I, you know, maybe it's because I'm old and I covered his dad and I just got a lot of respect for the family, but um, you know, I like the kid. I like a legacy kid. There's a lot of pressure on Bo Nix. He doesn't hide from it. Uh, he ain't the world's greatest at anything, but he's a competitor. And, and I like those kids that compete. I like those kids that bleed the school colors. And, and Bo does that. I, I think that gives him a chance. I think, you know, Tate Bigsby's incredibly, incredibly talented running back. I love this kid. I watched him play against Georgia this year, and I said, that's the best running back in the game right there. People say, oh, my goodness, Samir, why? I said, listen, folks. That Zamir White wagon pulled out of the station a long time ago. I don't know what he was rated in high school, but if you think he's the best running back in the SEC, you're not watching the same game I am. And, and I love Zamir, and he's come off the of two knees, but he ain't that guy. And, you know, he, he, you're, you're three years in, he hadn't been all SEC. He ain't going to be all SEC this year. And he's a good back, but we're in a league now where you got to be a great back. Tank Bigsby is a great back. Chris Rodriguez is a great back. To your point, Kendall Milton has the potential to be a great back. Throw Kenny McIntosh in that discussion as well. I'm probably missing a couple. Uh, but um, to your, your question about the West, it does kind of wonder, can anybody really knock off family? You know, A&M loses their quarterback. I'll be honest, though. I was never really that high on Kellen Mond. I mean, I, I think he was a good quarterback, and I, I saw I, I interviewed him, and certainly a stand-up guy and a good character guy. But he, he I don't think he's going to be anybody's fantasy football team anytime soon in the NFL, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, you know, I, what the Mississippi schools are doing, I mean, you know, it, it, it's exciting and it's fun, but you just feel like the clock's running on Lane. You, you just don't know what headline's coming next with Lane Kiffin or Mike Leach. I mean, would really, Bennett, is there anything that would surprise you, uh, you know, what headline we could come up with? And it, we could come up with the craziest, you know, Mike Leach believes in space aliens or, you know, Lane Kiffin drives a Corvette 150 miles an hour and we're believing it because both of those guys are just so out there. But I like what Sam's doing at Arkansas. I just don't think he's got the talent to get over the hump, but he can cause you some problems and beat somebody. Uh, LSU's got that off-field strife. Don't underestimate that. I watched Tennessee go through that. I've seen Michigan State go through that. Those things add up when those kids are being investigated or when their program's being investigated, when they got questions about the security of their head coach. LSU has a lot of turmoil off the field. That has a way of trickling down and changing the environment a little bit. Not saying you can't win, 
but it does add a layer of stress and another level for the coach and the football program to manage. So I do think those off the field issues are a bit of a distraction for LSU, maybe just enough. And, uh, you know, it sounds crazy to say Alabama by default, but, you know, Harson's new. We talked about the off-field issues at LSU. We don't know who's really going to take over at quarterback at A&M. I do think their talent has gotten better. Uh, you know, Wayne, you know, crazy and zany, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, you just don't know what to expect from week to week. And Sam Pittman is, is, is probably the most underrated hire, uh, but does he have the horses, or should I say, does he have the hogs, you know, to get over the hump? So uh, it's an interesting uh, SEC West to me. It's intriguing. It looks like the kind of division where a lot of teams are going to beat each other up. And you just wonder, like you said, Bennett, if Nick Saban can kind of continue to rise above that pack. Sam Bittman, he may not have the talent yet, but uh, certainly he will probably in the next couple of years. But he does have that jukebox, though. That, that, <laughs> that can, be, can be an X factor for him. You know, just, just saying. But, but I'm with you on Kellen Mond. I, I, I was a big fan of him as a, as a person. To me, he was a serviceable quarterback but I think a and is really Jimbo's really going to try to open up that offense a little more we saw it in the spring game there's a lot more a lot more moving of the pocket a lot more rollouts with the quarterbacks that he wasn't necessarily able to do with Kellen Bond and then Tennessee and we touched on them briefly a little bit we didn't even talk about them yeah, Ben you, you, you didn't have time for Tennessee man <laughs> just you know just just forgot them, honestly. But I wasn't going to remind you because then and people be like, oh, you covered Tennessee. You want to look, man? I covered four teams. I covered Auburn. I covered Alabama. I've covered Georgia. I covered Tennessee. And I've been around all these other programs and all these other coaches <laughs> enough. So people say, who's your? I said, look, I'm wearing gray. I don't know how neutral you can get, but I like them all. I mean, look, man, you're like me, right? We're sitting here. We're talking about all these programs, man. This is what makes the SEC so cool. Is that? All these SEC fans are dialed in enough that they know what's going on other places. We just love the whole conference. They all got great fight songs and mascots and cheerleaders and team colors and stadiums. I mean, it's the whole product that we love in the SEC, and it's just not that way other places. And so, you know, I wish SEC fans, I I mean, I don't mind seeing them give each other, you know, some jazz on social media. I wish they'd cut each other a little bit of a break, though. Sometimes it gets a little too serious. You just want to calm down a little bit here now. People on my Twitter timeline, like, trying to make $2,500 bets with each other on who's going to be favored in George and Clemson. What in the world is going on here, folks? You know, but, 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 but you know what, Bennett? That's part of what makes the SEC so doggone special is that there is so much passion and so much loyalty to the schools. Um, and, and that's what I love. So when people say, who's your favorite team? Man, I, I love the SEC. And don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. I, I went back and covered Michigan State uh, from 2012 to 2016. Went to all the stadiums and saw all the programs and really got a taste. It was a good time for the Big Ten. Ohio State beat Alabama. Uh, and the playoffs that one year and, and won the national championship. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I saw some pretty cool stuff there. The Big Ten, there's a lot to be said for how they do things. Um, you know, the ACC, let's be honest, right? It's been a basketball league for a long time. They're trying to beef up in football. Uh, I, I, like, I like seeing, um, you know, what's happening there at North Carolina. Uh, you know, the former Texas coach is, is doing a great job there. He's back home. He's been there once before. Uh, but to me, you know, I, I'm Pat Narduzzi guy. I think he tried to get it going at Pitt. He was able to beat Clemson, right? That was impressive. Um, 
but I just don't see the consistency out of that league. And I certainly don't see the same collective passion. I mean, everybody likes Miami. People like little Virginia tech, maybe Syracuse, but Louisville. I, I, I mean, I just kind of, you know, NC state, I, I wake Forest. I don't really, whereas in the sec, we got a storyline on every one of these guys. And, and, we, and we all have some feeling, regardless of who's watching this, I say a school's name and you got some kind of feeling that makes you feel some kind of way, good or bad. There's nobody that's indifferent. Either I like them or I don't like them. And, and that's SEC ball, man. Hey, there, there's no doubt about that. And, and the, the, pa- the passion in the SEC is just something that, that can't be rivaled. It's just something that, that you can't ever see before. And then all – it's, it's kind of weird how so many of these programs remind you of each other. Like when I think, and it may be just because of the recent, the past couple of years, but South Carolina reminds me a lot of Auburn, especially the last couple of years. You got proof, you got kind of quarterbacks that are trying to take the next step coming into this year with Luke Doty at South Carolina and Bo Nix at Auburn. The question is for both of those programs, who are they throwing the ball to? I mean, you got so great running backs and Tank Bigsby at Auburn, and then Kevin Harris is coming off a great year at South Carolina, and then you have Marshawn Lloyd, who missed out last year with the ACL. But it's just so many of these programs remind you of each other in this league. Yeah, well, they do, and it's cyclical, right? And programs rise and fall, and there's a lot of similarities, and situations are the same, but the names and numbers change. You know, I do think Auburn probably has a little bit more tradition to build on, um, but I like South Carolina's facilities a lot, and they've done a great job with that. I think uh, Columbia, South Carolina, we get into name, image, likeness. I think that's going to be a big advantage to have a big city like that. Um, that's a lot of potential for exposure for these kids. Yeah, I think so, too. And, Mike, it's been an awesome conversation today. Thank you so much for, for ha- coming on and, and tell everybody where they can find you on social media and what you got coming up at Dog Nation. Thanks, Bennett. You can find me on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32 and uh, we do all sorts of stuff on our DogNation.com channel, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, YouTube. I do a Monday night show. I'll have the uh, Georgia Athletic Director on Monday night. Uh, I think a little later this week we're going to have a Mother's Day show with, with some of the Georgia uh, football moms. And then uh, next Monday night uh, we'll have Dick Vitale on. So I like to have a lot of different guests on and, and look at SEC issues just like you. Um, you know, I enjoy talking about it and, and just enjoy visiting with fans and, and people like yourself to cover it. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And thank you so much, Mike. Really appreciate it. And let's do it again before the season starts and do another breakdown after you've gotten a chance to dive into a lot of these other schools. All right, man. Sounds good, Ben. Thanks. You're welcome. And thanks so much to Mike for coming on today. Thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.